everybody. Thank you so much for tuning in. In this episode, I speak with Jared Yates Sexton. Jared is the author of the upcoming book, American Rule, How a Nation Conquered the World But Failed Its People. He has written for the New York Times, the New Republic, the Daily Beast, Politico, and elsewhere. And he serves right now as an associate professor of writing at Georgia Southern University. He is also the co-host of the Muckrake podcast. He also writes regularly on his website, themuckrake.com. And I became aware of Jared, uh, I guess his work, his perspective, and his writings through a social media post that he had, uh, I think it was on Twitter. And uh, Jared, you know, in that thread, he breaks down the QAnon conspiracy theory, its roots, which also includes the historical context of conspiracy theories, uh, particularly in the United States, and not just the United States, but also in Europe, for instance, with the rise of fascism in Germany and how conspiracy theories played a role in that and the connection between Nazi Germany and the United States, which I think I've discussed in some detail from various angles on this podcast. But, you know, to talk about the the root of conspiracy theories and conspiracy thinking, and there is one particular conspiracy theory that has become alarmingly popular and has gained prominence in uh, American politics and American political discourse, which is the QAnon conspiracy theory. You know, I had heard about this thing, I think a few years ago. I mean, it really arose when Donald Trump was running for president and became president. I can't remember if it started in during his campaign or after he had been elected president in 2016. But regardless of that, this conspiracy theory has become increasingly popular since Trump became president. And it's something that I've been paying attention to, I guess, on the periphery for a while, but now it has become so widely believed, or at least there's elements of the QAnon conspiracy theory. I mean, there's so many people across the, across the political spectrum that adhere to at least some part of this grand theory. And I really wanted to talk about this because I've been talking about, for instance, on here about how people don't, you know, there's a good subset of the American population who have their own theories about, for instance, the uh, the pandemic uh, with COVID-19, you know, along with this being just an out of control uh, virus. We know now, I mean, we're however many months into this thing, and it's only getting worse by the month, by the day that one of the greatest threats to our health has not just been this virus, this contagion, but the denialism around it. Um, I think there's totally a healthy level of debate that we could have about it without completely dismissing its validity as being a real threat to people's health. Um, But that's where we're at. There are people that are just uh, denying the need for social distancing or for wearing masks or any of these things. So, This became very alarming and very obvious over the past several months that that's where we're at when it comes to being a society as far as whatever the United States is, as far as society goes, as a culture. You know, this is where we're at with this, where basic scientific facts are not accepted as being true. There's no nuance thinking about it either. And I think that is indicative of social collapse. There is something 
really disturbing about that. So in conjunction with that, we have the rise of basically right-wing conspiracy theories that are very, very peculiar and strange. When you actually peel back the layers of this thing, it is fucking weird. It's very, very peculiar thing that, that many, many, many people, I mean, millions and millions and millions of people believe in wholeheartedly. I really believe that that's where we're at, where it's actually... I guess you could say infected the U.S. political system where you have, say, the Republican Party, who is very much uh, influenced by the trajectory and the growth of this conspiracy theory. That is, that is again, that's another point that we're at here. And I want to make it also clear that Donald Trump is central to this theory. Not to say that Trump knows about it or even understands what it is. I think he knows about it, but I don't think he really understands what it actually is and its effects. But as the theory has evolved, I mean, he has always been the central figure in this. He is treated in many ways like a messiah. And so anyway, I mean, Jared has written really well about it, not just in that Twitter thread that I mentioned, but also the various articles that he's published at his blog, The Muckrake. So I'll just quote this from his article. The title of that is A Cult Within a Cult, QAnon Conspiracy Theories and Growing Fascism. And in that he states, to fully grasp what QAnon is and what it could become, we have to break down the very essence of this cult. It is a rebranding of the New World Order conspiracy theory that has held sway over American politics for the past two decades and a side effect of the rights war on science, education, and experts that has been waged on behalf of moneyed and powerful interests. It is a conspiracy theory that Trump and Republicans have flirted with and tacitly embraced as it scrubs clean flagrant corruption and miscarriages of justice. It has been made possible by repeated attacks on objective reality by a president, a party, and a movement that can only win elections when they are held inside a completely fabricated alternate reality wherein voters must choose between a satanic conspiracy and a party that continues to destroy democratic institutions. In short, QAnon is a conspiracy theory that legitimizes fascism. Its narrative of a system that has been so corrupted by traitors and conspirators that elections and democratic institutions themselves are unreliable means that violence of any sort is not only logical but necessary. The indictments and arrests and executions and even assassinations are necessary if it is a life or death situation, particularly if our country and the lives of its people are in the balance. QAnon, like the New World Order conspiracy theory and the Protocols of the Elders of Zion before it, is a lie that gives its believers license to indulge in their worst and most fascistic impulses. It makes them heroes in a struggle. It makes them saviors of their own reality. That's a pretty good encapsulation of the severity of the issue, and I really thank Jared for, for doing the work that he has done in this regard, uh, writing about these subjects, digging into that, getting into the the dark underbelly of fascism and these very peculiar conspiracy theories that are gaining prominence in American politics right now. So yeah, I'll just leave it there. And I would just say, if anybody wants to learn about Jared and his work, I would recommend going to themuckrake.com. You can also follow him on the Muckrake podcast, uh, which he co-hosts with Nick Houselman. And I will also be providing a link 
to his new book, American Rule, How a Nation Conquered the World But Failed Its People. And if you want to learn more about this podcast in particular, I would ask that you go to my website, lastborninthewilderness.com. Everything you need to know will be on that website. If you'd like to support this project monetarily, there are a couple ways to do that. The first is through a one-time donation through PayPal. You go to paypal.me slash lastbornpodcast. And that would be very helpful if you felt like contributing that way. And if you want to support this podcast on a monthly basis, you can do that through Patreon. Go to patreon.com slash last born in the wilderness and if you choose to support this work through patreon uh, you will gain early access to these interviews before the official public release all right without any further delay here's my interview with jared yates sexton So first of all, Jared, it's great to connect. Thank you for coming on the podcast. And um, I, I do want to tell a little story here about how I uh, became interested in you specifically and why I wanted to contact you for an interview. But you, as we were just saying before we started, that you're in Georgia. So, um, you know, based uh, there's all these stereotypes attached to the Deep South. Um, how accurate are those in regards to politics and in <laughs> like you're, you're a leftist and, and, a, or a progress. I'm not sure how, what category you would define yourself in specifically, but my understanding is you're very critical of the right wing and Trump and, uh, and everything. So I'm just curious, you know, based on, I've never been to the South, so I can't speak to that, but I mean, what is it like living in, in the South? It's odd. And I, I, you know, I, I think that that's, that's an umbrella term, obviously. So I'm, I'm originally from Indiana and mm. I'm from like rural, rural Indiana. Like my family is like dirt poor, uh, a bunch of factory workers and, you know, prison guards and miners and stuff. And so there's a lot of cultural sort of connection between particularly I come from Southern Indiana. There's a lot of South in Southern Indiana, you mm. know, like if you actually look at a lot of like the linguistics maps and all that stuff, like the South sort of creeps up into Southern Indiana and then creeps back down into the South. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I got down here back in 2012 and I didn't really know what to expect because the, the most time I'd ever spent in the South, I had been to a couple cities here and there, but I hadn't spent any um, particular time in the South. I didn't realize that there is such a cultural gravity do everything. Mm-hmm. Like one of the things that I've figured out, because, you know, everyone will talk about, obviously, um, I'm, you know, I posted about the South the other day on Twitter and somebody just wanted to talk about the Confederacy, of course, sure. which, you know, you, you need to talk about the Confederacy to understand modern America. You just have to. Yeah. But one, one thing to understand about the South is they are still tied to that time, right? Like we, we look back at the Confederacy and like, Popular history or conventional history sort of tells us, well, the North won the Civil War and then everything was fine, you know, (laughs) and and then so the South, you know, had occupying armies here. They had their culture sort of changed around. Um, I I know this is going to be a shock to people in 2020 during the presidency of Donald Trump, but they still hold a grudge on a lot of this stuff. (laughs) And there's there's so many bad parts of the Confederacy that unfortunately still hold gravity here because people still consider it their cultural heritage. So there's a lot of that, but it's also 
different because when you look at the Civil War and all that, you just think about it, it's like every Southerner was like a slave owner and, and you know, they were obviously anti-federal or whatever you want to call them. But there's so many people down in the South who are incredibly progressive mm-hmm. and are trying to make a lot of changes. Like there's all these oasises, OS, OSI, I'm not even sure what the morality <laughs> of oasis is. But there's like all these places where you have like progressive people or liberal people who are trying to change the South. But you also have this incredibly rich culture of like African-Americans. You have, you know, a a lot of people who are um, Latinx who have moved up into the South and are finding their own way here. So it's turning into much more of a pluralist society. But there's a constant battle for that cultural heritage of you know, the Confederacy or white supremacy or whatever you want to call it. And this progressivism and pluralism that is trying to move things forward. So it's, it's a pretty constant battle, to be honest. It's, it's a really, um, it's a really vibrant cultural collision at all times. Yeah. Yeah. I can imagine. So, and I would also imagine that, uh, I mean, it's funny because I think the United States in particular, Americans tend to project a lot of ideas outwards to other countries, other nations, other peoples. Um, but they do it within the borders of this own, their own country too. You know, you have this such, so many stereotypes attached to the South and, and I've always felt like that's probably not an accurate picture and things tend to be far more complex and nuanced than that. And so, yeah, I just wanted to get a reading of your, your ideas of, of that. And I think that's pretty fascinating. Um, I would always, I've always wanted to go and visit, the south that's one part of the well don't do it in the summer i'll just tell you that (laughs) it's brutal in the summer but to just say something off of what you just said in terms of i think how americans sort of view the south or how they sort of consider the south um one of the things that's concerned me and again i'm from indiana so i hear it all the time right like so for instance right now we're in the middle of um of a generational pandemic and not only has it moved from what you would consider urban areas, but it's moved into rural areas, right? I mean, it's really causing a lot of damage um, down here in Georgia. And actually, it's just started back up in my home state of Indiana. And one of the things that has upset me for years now, and again, as a leftist or a progressive or whatever you want to call me, I try to be a little hard to pin down. I, I, I don't always want to be predictable. I don't always want to end up where you expect me to end up. But one of the things that has most upset me and disturbed me is people saying things like, good, I hope it ravages there. You know what I mean? Yeah. I hope it is. Or like you'll see, um, you know, it was like when Donald Trump held his rally in Tulsa and, you know, you had a bunch of people show up without masks and people were just giddy about it. And they were like, I hope they all get coronavirus. And there's a certain dehumanization that has taken place and mm-hmm. sort of a universality or uh, a lot of prejudices that have taken over. Um, and unfortunately, I think that's one of the reasons why this country is in the the, the problem that it's in mm-hmm. is because we've and actually in my research. Um, so I, I just wrote a book called American Rule. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that I found leading up into the Civil War is one of the defining reasons why we got into a civil war is because Americans started seeing themselves as two different people. There was the North and the South and the North obviously looked down on the South and saw them as having power for too long because of the way the the government was set up. And the South started to see themselves as a different type of American. And they started believing that the Northerners were involved in a conspiracy against them. You know, they were Mm -hmm. planning 
going to come. And, and by the way, the North wasn't interested in actually getting rid of slavery. They just didn't want it to continue westward, right? They didn't want it to go into the North and go into new states. They wanted a sort of a, a change in political power. But what ends up happening is you start seeing Americans see themselves as two separate types of human beings. And that's how all of a sudden you lead. And by the way, it's not just in America. Almost every civil war that you see in history is based on that idea. All of a sudden you become two different people and you view each other in totality and you view each other through conspiracy theories. And anyone paying attention to modern times, I think that should send a chill up their spine, right? Yeah. The idea I'm on this side and you're on that side. And as a result, we have to be instantly opposed to one another, uh, you know, to the point of shedding blood or to the death. I think that's a real problem. Yeah, and that actually, you, you touched it there on the uh, conspiracy thing, and that was the little story I wanted to share with you uh, about um, what compelled me to contact you was, um, I think I had posted something on, on social media regarding how kind of difficult it is to navigate conversations, political discussions right now. And it's always been difficult. There's always that thing where like, oh, you go to Thanksgiving with your family and you got to deal with the racist uncle or the, you know, ignorant family member that mentioned something and you have to deal with that. But it's gone to a real point now with all these crises we're in the midst of currently where um, it, it is a it is a real thing. It's very concerning to many people. So I had a friend who I've known for a little while, but I think she saw something I had posted about this and she's like, Hey, I just want to have a conversation. So she, so we were on the phone talking and she's like, Hey, I have this best friend, someone she loves dearly, um, who was getting sucked into the QAnon conspiracy theory. Right. And while certainly it's become, it's being discussed now more and more. I mean, it, it's gotten to a point where, what I used to think of as fringe theories that were on on the edges of political discourse, they weren't really within what we'd call the Overton window of political dis discourse in this country. Now it is, and it has to be talked about. Um, so anyway, um, she, my friend was just very concerned. She's like, I love my friend, but she's just buying into this theory that's just so weird. It's fucking weird. And, but it's really weird. It's really weird because when you really look at it, it's it's very strange. But like, um, you know, and she just wanted to get my thoughts on it. And and I actually sent her because again, when I first became familiar with you, was a Twitter thread that you had published on the dangers of these conspiracy theories. You went into the history of it. Um, you think you pointed to like all the way back to the, maybe the maybe nineteenth century, early twentieth century with the spread of some of these uh, very anti-Semitic conspiracy theories that were... It, it goes all, all the way back to medieval ages. Right. I mean, it really... Oh, I yeah. mean, like, there, there's stuff going on right now, like blood libel, that goes back to, like, we're talking kings and queens as nations <laughs> are coming about. So, no, you're exactly right. Like, this has a long, long history. Uh, and, yeah. and, and, of course, what we got here is a completely different story. But, yeah, this is a long line of this stuff. Yeah, and so... I, I just I shared with her some resources and and just tried to say hey you're because I think for her one of the defining feelings she was expressing to me was um, that reality itself was um, like like am I crazy for thinking that they're crazy is there something to it what's going on you know and and she just wanted to kind of be reassured that she's not 
crazy <laughs> that she does have a grasp on reality. And, uh, and I'm like, yeah, this is a very difficult time um, for that very reason. But anyway, I mean, I wanted to just point to that and ask you because I think that was something I really wanted to focus on, at least at the very beginning of this, which is if you could explain this theory. I mean, just give us the basic, um, you know, understanding of what it is, maybe where it came from. Um, and yeah, yeah, if you could just give us some background on that. Yeah. Do you, do you mind if I go on like just a quick tangent? Because what yes, you just please. said, I felt like was very powerful. This idea that reality as we know it is sort of coming apart. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. Which I actually think is one of the biggest topics and one of the most important topics that we as a people have no interest in actually talking about. Right. Yeah. Like yeah. it's weird to talk about. Like mm -hmm. it's, it's a weird esoteric kind of an idea. But I think in order to understand the conspiracy theory stuff, you have to understand that. And so I, I think one thing that Americans are starting to really come around on, and it's a rude awakening. I mean, like I was telling somebody the other day, I was like, this year's 4th of July had to be the most bizarre 4th of July for everyone. We're in a country that you get to like this patriotic day that's supposed to celebrate American exceptionalism, right? Yeah. And then you get there and we're in the midst of a pandemic that is so bad that people are dying left and right and you can't go out and have your, you can't have your fireworks, you can't have your cookouts, you can't have your gatherings. So it's really weird to be celebrating this idea of American exceptionalism while America is failing. Right. Yeah. And I think one of the things that we have to understand before we understand conspiracy theories is we have to understand that that idea of American exceptionalism that I think people like you and me and maybe people listening to this podcast grew up with is that that reality was never actually real. That reality was a mythology. It was a story that we were told. And by the way, everyone's told it. This is what's taught in schools, right? There's this idea of America that goes from point A to point B, and it's supposed to be this mythology where America is like the arbiter of all that is good and just and freedom and liberty and equality. Well, guess what? That's not a reality that everyone has always experienced because people of color and LGBTQ Americans and women and you name it, they have not experienced that. Right. Mm -hmm. They have they, they, they've heard about it and they, their own experience did not bear out on that. Well, as social media is coming around and as politics has to become more and more inclusive and culture has to be more inclusive, we're starting to hear from people who have never experienced that. And I think we're all starting to realize, holy hell, that wasn't all true. Right. And so it's like this weird thing. And, and I try and tell people it's like I grew up in what I now call the cult of the shining city, which is a neo-confederate apocalyptic white identity evangelicalism. Or if you just want to call it modern white Christianity, you can do that. Right. <laughs> which is the idea that America is God's chosen country, which means that we are his champions of good and the inheritors of the universe's will. Right. Mm -hmm. We are fighting for what's good. And anyone who opposes us is evil and needs to be taken down. And, and you know, that that's the mythology of America that many Americans have grown up with. Well, so like, let's go into the mindset of that. If you truly believe that America is God's chosen country. Right. And that there is an omnipotent, all powerful being who is watching over this country and taking care of it. Well, why would we ever fail? Right. Yeah. How, how does a country that is God's chosen country ever fail? And if you listen to regular American history or you've you know learned history through the schools, that's the America that we're talking about. So how did it fail? Well, the conspiracy theories all play upon that idea of unique nationalism. 
right? I, 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 I'll just go ahead and I'll start in 1930s Germany, because actually one of the things we don't like to talk about is that America and Nazi Germany were really linked. Mm-hmm. Like we, we have really strong ties with each other. <clears throat> and we actually inspired a great deal of the Third Reich. Well, there's this myth in Germany called the knife in the back. And the knife in the back is a conspiracy theory that the reason why the Germany, the German army lost in World War One is because they were betrayed from the inside by the Jewish people. There's no way that Germany could have lost World War One because they were the best army and they were the chosen country and they were the strongest. So all of a sudden, if that is what you believe, you have to start looking for explanations. Right. Like, what is it that could possibly hold us back? Well, the knife in the back is always this part of unique nationalism. And in America right now, we're in the middle of a, of a massive existential crisis because what people so I'm 38 years old. I graduated from graduate school in 2008, just as the uh, housing market was falling apart. Right. I had spent years protesting the Iraq war. We were becoming less and less respected in the global arena. By the way, now I'm looking at a possible Great Depression. The country is on fire with the pandemic. And I come from Indiana from a family full of factory workers and miners. Well, what happened to those factories? What happened to those mines? Right. The people in my family grew up with those jobs and they suddenly went away. Well, where did they go? Right. So the reason why we have the conspiracy theories is because you have to support the myth of the unique nationalism. Right. America is God's chosen country. Well, why are we suffering right now? Why are we faltering? We have to find a knife in the back. Right. It's not our fault. It's not God's fault. There has to be something wicked and evil that is pulling us back and keeping us from greatness. Well, so the people that we're talking about, and unfortunately, I have a lot of people that I care about who are currently getting lost in this. They're sharing QAnon stuff. They're sharing white supremacist stuff. I mean, they're they're just, they're being worked over by this stuff. They do not have the language to understand yet why this stuff has happened. So we could sit here and we could probably talk for an hour about NAFTA. We could talk about global economics. We could talk about deindustrialization in America and why the factories went away, why we're moving away from coal and mines, you know, and why, like, my hometown was devastated by a multinational corporation like Walmart. We could talk about Reaganomics, but we would talk about that because we had knowledge of those things, right? Because we had an understanding of history and how politics, like, actually work. Well, guess what? A group of people that doesn't have knowledge of how politics works, they have to create folklore. They have to create urban legends to explain how these things happen. And unfortunately, when you look at something like um, so in the 1990s into the 2000s, it was the New World Order. Right. If that rings a bell for people, mm-hmm. New World Order is just a simplified explanation of the uh, you know globalism. And instead of, oh, these people are out for your money, all of a sudden it's like Satan. Satan's after you and he's trying to kill you and your family, right? The deep state is just the new world order with a new set, a new coat of paint, right? And QAnon is an interactive, supernatural new world order, right? You can Mm -hmm. go online and you can find the clues. And then as a result, and this is one of the reasons why QAnon is so dangerous, because the new world order and the deep state, we can't take it down, you know, these are like big, giant conspiracies, and we can't we can't take them down. In QAnon, you can. 
if you find the right clue, it's like a, a what is it? It's like an artificial reality game. If I find the right clue, I could take down the deep state. I could be the savior of humanity if I just watch the right YouTube video or I discern the right code. So it gives people who are powerless the sensation of having power, which is part of a cult. All of these things run on cult logic and all of them change the exact same way as a cult logic. So we can talk about like how to get through to people who are going through this, but we have to understand that conspiracy theories are the language of cults, particularly in terms of powerlessness. I didn't ever make that connection because, I mean, I was just thinking of QAnon like, oh, this is like the the conglomeration of all of these, like the New World Order and all these other conspiracy theories before. Um, it was like a, a very neat package, you could say, a very weird one, but one that could tie all these things together. Um, but when you're saying there is that it's a, like an interactive experience, it's not just like you're reading about it and then you feel it disempowered because for me that's what conspiracy theories often point to is the sense of right. there's a cabal there's a smoke. yeah there's a group of not in yeah usually it's something like jewish people are controlling the governments of the world um but what you said there that connection i hadn't thought about that the reason why this has taken on such um gigantic proportions in not just American politics, it seems like it's extended internationally as well um, with QAnon is that, yeah, there's like a game because that's something that like I, I've, I've heard um, various people working in, I don't know, tech or, or other industries. They're like, hey, how do we bring more people in and draw their attention? And well, let's make games out of things, right? And that's just a strategy that they use to draw your attention in. Well, that's now extended to this really weird conspiracy theory that that came up in the wake of the election of Donald Trump. Um, and I don't know, man. I'm sorry. I just I had to just comment on that. I had never made that connection. So, yeah. And, yeah, and I, I would just like to ask, I mean, give us some basic tenets of this idea of, of QAnon. Like, what is it? What do they believe? <laughs> what is well, at this point, and, and by the way, one of the things that you said is that it's like this neat little package. It started as a neat little package. Mm. But what ends up happening, and this is one of the reasons why um, people need to think about it through the idea of a cult. And, and, and one of the things that happens, and people forget this, major religions start as cults. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. They start out as like a small group of people who believe something and then they convince more people of that. Well, what people don't understand is that major religions, maybe maybe now we'll say something like Christianity or Islam. We put a capital C or a capital I in front of it. Right. Mm -hmm. But they started out as small gatherings that then had their own like little tiny civil wars where there would be one sect that went this way, or there would be another sect that went this way, right? And on one hand, they'd be like, well, we believe that baptism saves you. And then on the other hand, they're like, no, only confessing to a priest can save you. And all of a sudden, you have like splinters, right? Well, QAnon starts out with this basic belief, that there is a person calling himself, their selves, Q, under the, under the auspices that they are... Uh, a super classified intelligence agent, possibly Donald Trump himself, posting on a forum called 4chan, which is where people go, well, went to be racist and, you know, 
just play around as fascist, basically. Right. It then migrated to 8chan, and now it's on 8kun, which has just gotten even worse. But what has actually happened is it started out as a person who would just drop, they're called Q-drops. It would just be these very, very cryptically worded posts, right? And so here's the genius of Q. And a lot of there are a lot of theories about who Q is and who Q isn't. But the the ingenious nature of it is that these drops are always cryptic, which means literally everyone who reads them can discern their own logic in them, can discern their own uh, fortune through them. It's like a Nostradamus quatrain, right? Right. So you sit. So you sit down and it's actually kind of ingenious because not only does that make it interactive, like the person who's on the other side of it starts figuring it out. But then also, like if something happens later on, you can say, oh, remember that Q drop that said that? And all of a sudden you're like, oh, yeah, absolutely. That's what that was about. Right. Mm. Which is what any good cult leader can do. They just sort of sprinkle a little bit of dust around and eventually they like nail something. So the idea of QAnon is that there has been a... A takeover of the world. Again, it's the New World Order. It's by a group called the Cabal or the Deep State. And by the way, if you just kind of like peer behind the curtain a little bit, yes, it's Jewish puppet masters. It always is, right? Mm-hmm. But it's this group that has um, tri- has taken over America, and it includes Republicans, mostly Democrats, liberals, Jewish people, and obviously people in the media, right? Because the movies that we watch and the music that we listen to are hidden with symbols, which anybody listening who lived through the 1980s, you're going to hear echoes of the satanic panic, right? Uh, The idea that that there were like hidden messages on music and in our movies and the devil was always present, which is one of the reasons why the QAnon has started to merge into the Christian community Mm. because it's the same mindset. There's an evil conspiracy. Now it starts off with that. and, And basically what ends up happening is that it has become completely focused and obsessed with taking literally everything Donald Trump does and turning it into some sort of a victory or some sort of a secret move, right? There's nothing that Trump can do wrong because he's always like five or six steps ahead of everybody. And so QAnon continually tries to swallow, digest, and then regurgitate something that that gives us a mythology of Trump being right and fighting the deep state and the cabal. Can I just say Uh, one thing they call that 4D chess? Isn't that something that I've heard? They're, like he he's so ahead of the game. He he's planning all his steps out, and everything he does is just a part of this big plan, right? I always say I disagree completely. Whenever people say he's playing forty chess, <laughs> I think he choke on a checker. You know, yeah. I, I really don't. <laughs> but so this idea it it gets really weird really fast. Right. So the idea is that um, and I've been accused of this, you know, I'm, I'm like a liberal arts professor in Georgia. But, you know, obviously I'm a player in the game. Right. I'm a psyop. I'm, I'm part of this thing. So the idea is that the rich and powerful in this country have not only taken over the government, but that they are serial um, uh, child rapists and child killers. Right. Uh, And by the way, this goes back to blood libel of what we talked about, the idea that you kill children and harvest their blood and you enjoy their torture and all this stuff. This has been around for it for centuries. This is a really crazy, crazy thing. They've even got this idea that there's like this thing, adrenochrome, that they like harvest and they use to keep themselves young and that they're like literal vampires, which, by the way, this is how you get the myth of a vampire is the idea that the rich and powerful feed off of the poor. Right. Yeah. And that's how they stay young. So it's all these mythologies that are just wound up in this. But so 
it eventually spirals out of control. There's a group of them that believes in a thing called mole children, like children who live underground in New York City and have like mutated. There's some of them that believe that John or uh, JFK Jr. faked his death in order to partner with Donald Trump to take down the people who killed his father, JFK. There's another group of people who believe in reptilians. There's another group of people who believe in time travel. And with the time travel people, they some of them actually believe that Donald Trump's son, Baron Trump, is a time-traveling crime fighter. I mean, like, this stuff, and, and here's the thing. You can take it and you can turn it into anything that you want. And, like, you're constantly finding clues, and it ends up becoming, again, this sort of, like, slapdash choose your own adventure conspiracy theory. And so every single day, there's more evidence that you can compile into your conspiracy view. It's, it's, it's a really crazy phenomenon. You know, when this, I I, look on face is priceless. I I, I just want to let people know that as, (laughs) as you're absorbing this and when I actually explain to people what this is, that's usually the look that I get. Well, I mean, if we release, if you if you consent to me releasing some of the video of this, um, <laughs> then they will see it because I'll make sure to clu- include that. That's a lot. Yeah, but it's a lot. It's a lot. Yeah, I mean, it's like a download of just like because I think okay, this is the disturbing thing because I have met like I, I grew up in a pretty uh, religious, at a religious upbringing in the LDS Church. Um, my father in particular was very into very esoteric, not even just mainstream religious ideas within the LDS church, but some very esoteric and conspiracy oriented ideas. Um, so I grew up with some familiarity with that thinking and then I kind of grew out of it and sort of am now coming back to exploring some of these subjects from a different angle. Um, so what you're saying is like, you said a few things that just triggered specific memories. Like you said, Baron Trump being a time traveler. I'm like, oh, one of my dad's weird friends from back in the day sent me a Facebook message a few months ago about Baron Trump being a time traveler. Or, or I mean, all these little things where I'm like, they're not necessarily ascribing to QAnon specifically, but like you said, this kind of conglomerates and puts it all into one umbrella thing, right? Well, I'll just say really quickly, I grew up in a similar circumstance, but it was with the Baptist and Pentecostal faith. Mm -hmm. And so there's a thing that ends up happening. And again, this is the cult of the shining city that I talked about. And weirdly enough, so much of this has to do with Ronald Reagan, who like he's always portrayed as this like great Christian patriot. Mm -hmm. He actually wasn't religious. He was spiritual. He believed in like Atlantis. He believed in like devilish plots and all that stuff. It's Mm -hmm. like a really weird story that um, people need to look up. It's a bizarre, bizarre thing. But so I grew up in that environment where it wasn't just going to church. There was the added component of like the new world order is out to get you. And if you come around a corner at the wrong moment, Satan might be there. You need to be prepared to fight Satan at any moment. Now, like you, I got out of that, but the framework of it is still in my head. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like there, there have been moments where, because I was raised up in apocalyptic Christianity. Mm -hmm. So like there, there will be moments where it'll be like, I don't know, an earthquake or a meteor shower or something will happen. And that old, you know, programming will kick in. And all of a sudden I'm like signs and wonders. Here it is. (laughs) Thief in a night. We're ready to go. But here's the thing. I got out of that and I'm still got that running in the background. 
the people in my family who didn't necessarily get out of it, it's now being overworked by this QAnon stuff, right? Mm -hmm. Because they were taught that there were satanic conspiracies and child murder and child rapists and all this stuff, which, by the way, just to point out for anyone listening who hasn't connected the dots, there actually is a, a, a network of child rapists and, and, and all this stuff, like the Jeffrey Epstein stuff. There's a reason why that takes place, and we're now looking at all this. We're trying to understand how these things have happened. It just so happens that the people who are lost in it are looking at it through a different lens that explains through that programming that you and I are talking about. Yeah, I was thinking how uh, growing up with that uh, kind of framework um, – that, that I guess it's apocalyptic, messianic, um, yeah, fire and brimstone. I mean, the LDS take on it's a bit different, but I think that that framework is there. So what is interesting is what you're saying is like you and I have that. It's it's like it's deep. Like it's a deep thing. It's like our, I think our brain, our, our it neurology. Yeah, it doesn't go away just because you're like, I'm not a member of that church or that religious order anymore. It doesn't like just go away. It's pretty fucking deep. Um. But I think there's two things that come up with that is that one, with say you and I, we kind of came to our senses, so to speak, and developed our own ideas on things. We can use that framework as a way to sort of, it's almost like an intuitive sense that we have of like, oh, this sort of smells like a weird conspiracy theory type thing. So certain things will come out at us that'll be like, oh yeah, that's th okay. There's a, there's an alarm bell going off there. Um, so we can use it to our, our benefit. And we can use it to maybe help others, you know, if we can kind of articulate that in some way and help others with that. But also that same framework, if you don't get out of it, if you don't, if you don't work through that and go through your own life experiences to, to move in a different direction, like you said, your family is like, people have been conditioned for generations within this particular way of thinking about reality, where some theory like QAnon comes along and it's just like that like they're gonna get hijacked it's, it's almost a given not to speak to them as if they're children or they're not able to you know I, I think anybody's capable of whatever you know uh, forging their own path forward if they want um, it, it is possible but nonetheless I think you look at the way people are just sucking this up like there's lapping it up it's so easy to get sucked into this line of thinking um, and it's quite disturbing. So I just wanted to draw that point up where it's like growing up in these religious kind of conspiracy mindsets, it actually can be a, it's a, it's a blessing and a curse at the same time. It really is. And I, so I've had a weird career over the past couple of years where, you know, I've, I've been analyzing American politics and like, I'll have moments where something seems so obvious because of that framework that it feels like everybody has to understand it. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? Because mm -hmm. it's just, it's like a glaring neon sign. I, I, I'll just give an example. It was like when, um, during the black lives matter protest in Washington, DC, when Trump like strode through that square and then stood up in front of the burnt church with the Bible. And everyone's like, what's this about? What's he mean? And I was like, well, he's declaring himself a holy emperor. Yeah. And he's saying that he's, he, that that he is a warrior for the Christians, and this is a holy war. He's saying that these protesters are unholy and evil. It's not hard when you have it. You know what I mean? Like when you, when you recognize this stuff. Because my pastors were telling me this would happen. 
all along they were like eventually when america is in trouble and you know when everything is just about when right before the darkest moment somebody will raise up and that will be a christ-like figure well on the same note the mindset that we're talking about here is so messianic right and it's the idea that like i've had people that i've known who have reached out and they've been like I think that you are uniquely set up to communicate this to people and you've been put here for a reason. And I'm like, Oh, like a Messiah. (laughs) But on the other side, right. You're at a computer and you're clicking away and you're so-called. So they've started doing this thing called digital soldiers. They, they take an oath where it's, it's like an oath to an office, but it's an oath to QAnon and it actually supersedes an oath to like the constitution or America. And, Right. And so, <laughs> so listen, we're not done yet because they're, yeah. they're just, there's a lot to unpack with this. Yeah. So they take this oath, right? And they swear that they will be a digital soldier. Well, if you're a digital soldier, and of course you're like going online and you're looking for this and you're looking for that, you're always one keystroke away from being the Messiah, right? Mm. You are always one click of the button away from being the person who cracks the case, saves democracy, and saves America. So it takes the powerlessness that we're talking about. But here's the problem. When you have unique nationalism, and when you have these conspiracy theories, right? So like, just to paint this for people who are listening, who are maybe not familiar with this, and are like, oh, okay, this is kooky. Why are we even talking about this, right? Notice that I just said they took an oath to something beyond the country. Right. Mm-hmm. And you, you, again, you react and you're like, I don't like this. Right. Let's go down where these things happen, because this is not it's a unique thing because of the Internet. And it's a unique thing because of our political moment. But America and the world have a history of these movements, these conspiracy theory based cults of power. Well, what ends up happening? And, and think about it. If you if, if you're like, why are we even talking about this? So the QAnon worldview is that the government has been completely taken over and perverted, right? There's no way to pass bills that help people anymore, which, by the way, the government kind of has been bought and sold, but it's not by a cabal, right? It's by, you know, corporations and wealthy people, and we don't need to get that. So if the government's been bought and sold, law enforcement can't keep control of them, and, you know, they're constantly killing children and harvesting their organs, and they're coming for you and your family, and they're going to take your guns and everything that you have, right? Well, that tells me, well, maybe you need to take the law into your own hands, right? Like, if those people are going to come get you and they're going to hurt you, well, that legitimizes you acting first, right? And so what ends up happening with things like QAnon or the knife in the back, or it goes back to like the the Red Scare, right? And we've had two distinct Red Scares in this country. What ends up happening is that legitimizes mob violence and vigilante violence and fascistic violence. And it tells the people who believe it, you need to act now and you have to use violence. And by the way, the only way you can do it is through QAnon. Right. And when you take that oath, all of a sudden you're not worried about America. You're not worried about other Americans. All of a sudden there's two people. There's the people who are the good people and the people who are the bad people. And whenever you get those conspiracy theories and they pick up enough momentum and they get enough people and they get righteous enough in their in their anger, you have legitimate violence and legitimate uh, authoritarianism and fascism. Hmm. Is, you know, you talk about Nazism um, and of course, that's obviously a fascist ideology. Um, and, and you drew, you drew the connection between the U S and Nazism. There is a history there that makes people uncomfortable to look at, but is nonetheless, 
there. So, I, but my question really is, is fascism as, as a political, social, even spiritual movement, you could even say, um, however it manifests in whatever context and time, are they always coupled with conspiracy theories? Is that, is that like, absolutely they are. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. And so I started doing research. I'm actually working on a bigger project right now. And this was originally something I sort of understood, but I didn't completely. Right. It was like a, it was like a niggling sort of a feeling that I had. And what I ended up finding out and, and I traced my, my research back actually to the Roman empire. And so when you initially have Christianity as a cult, Right. So you have like a, a Jesus Christ is like a prophet. And then you have a group of people who remember him and try to keep the religion going after supposedly he dies. Right. And resurrects. Well, going back to the Roman Empire, the, the Christians are martyred constantly. They're brutalized. They're tortured. They're hunted down. They're destroyed. And that happens, by the way, for, uh, I think, centuries I'm fairly certain it happened for like three centuries, right? And then all of a sudden, I want to say in 312 AD, uh, Constantine just suddenly is like, I saw a sign. We're all Christians now. Let's go out and conquer. So all of a sudden, you have this weird thing that happens, which is you have a persecuted religion that suddenly has state power. Well, a persecuted religion that suddenly has power sees all around it people who are coming to get them. Right. Mm -hmm. It's a righteous anger and you need to take over in order to like thwart them. So if you actually look throughout history and and by the way, I'll just go ahead and fast forward. I don't want to go through every century for everybody. (laughs) We don't have all day. But if you actually move forward, fascism is the reinvention of that. Fascism is a moment in the 20th century that looks back to like the end of the Roman Empire and also like the middle medieval ages. And it says we want to stop time. We want to get rid of liberal democracy, which is the idea that we all have a say and we all get a vote and we're a pluralist society, right? And and we need to move away from everybody being organized based on religion and totalitarianism. They literally decide, and this is the the written uh, the writings of Benito Mussolini. He says, "I want to rewind time. We don't need to go forward anymore. We can go back." And they want to create this new theocratic totalitarianism that used to be what happened during the uh, Middle Ages. And one of the weirdest things, and again, going back to the tie between America and Germany, if you look at the uh, Romantic movement, which took place in the 19th century, it was obsessed with like the Middle Middle Ages, with like all of these ethnic tribes and what it meant to be ethnic and what it meant to be, oh, I don't know, Aryan. Right. Mm-hmm. And there was like a special power to that. And, and, and there, there was a it was good to be in ethnic tribes. So they're like, we want to go back to that. So fascism is actually a try. It's trying to return to a point in time where it's like, I don't know, make Germany great again or make Italy great again. But also it ties into, I don't know, in Italy, they work with the Catholic Church. In Germany, they work with something called positive Christianity, which is this idea that Jesus was the first anti-Semite. And that, you know, he was the he was the one who went after the Jews. And as a result, Hitler took over the positive Christian religion in Germany and then one day announced that he was the prophet and you didn't need Jesus anymore. It's a really weird, twisted thing, but it's always powered by that conspiracy theory that somebody's out to get us. And if somebody's out to get us, we better get them first. So that has been like one of the defining traits of all of this for centuries and and basically the modern world. Mm. I did not plan on talking about that today. Oh, by the way, <laughs> that's well. It was, it was beautiful. Thank you for sharing that. No, I, I think it's. Uh, this conversation getting. 
Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I want to ask, I mean, uh, you know, part of what's so disturbing about this QAnon thing, and as I mentioned earlier, it's like, it is, we have to talk about it because it's so commonly um, believed now. Even if, even if people don't necessarily know that they're sharing on social media or they're talking about ideas that are tied to QAnon, that's how pervasive it is, right? Where you have yes. people actually you know, they don't even realize it. They're just like, oh, I just thought this was interesting. It seemed true. And I shared it, you know. Um, but I want to get an idea of like, okay, so something that comes up for me is Trump and his administration. Um, do they, do they know like, are they actually, they know about QAnon? I'm sure they know about QAnon, but are they like, are they harnessing that? Are they consciously purposefully using this as a way to establish more power um, to legitimize Trump, maybe, you know, getting reelected or put postponing the election as that's kind of being floated out now, how legitimate that is or not is a question that people have been talking about lately. But, but yeah, I'm, I'm asking if, if, QAnon as a conspiracy theory, as a particular framework of understanding reality, is being consciously used by Trump operatives uh, for their own political uh, aims and gains. I don't think Donald Trump has a, even the beginnings of an understanding of QAnon. <laughs> I think when he, you know, when he gets on his social media account, he just sees a bunch of people saying nice things about him. He doesn't look at, you know, the sure. hashtag. He's not like QAnon. Oh, I gotta look this up. Like he's never looked anything up. You know. Yeah. Obviously. He's the type of person who will read a book and come across a word that he doesn't know. And he's like, oh, I know that word. Never mind. Going forward. And, you know, he's like, oh, I know all about QAnon. I'm the biggest expert in QAnon. And then he moves on. I do believe, however, that there are people within the Trump administration who pay attention to extremists because there's been way too much um, direct contact and direct sharing and um, amplifying of those voices. And I'm talking about, um, I'm talking about neo-Nazis. I'm talking about white extremists. I'm talking about some really crazy fringe groups. There's been, there've been too many coincidences. I'll just put it that way. And I think Trump in his defense, and it makes me feel gross even saying that because I actually think he's a really, really uh, disgusting, dangerous person. I don't think he understands when he retweets stuff. But I think there are people who are around him, particularly people like Stephen Miller, who do know about these things. Um, you know, there was a there was a tweet by Trump not too long ago that was like nearly the 14 words, which if anybody knows is like this, um, you know, it's about saving the white race. It's a neo-Nazi pledge. It was way too close to that. They've been they've been given way too many hat tips toward it. Now to be in the Republican Party right now, because there are actually there probably are going to be one, maybe two members of Congress in the next session who are QAnon believers and adherents. Mm -hmm. uh, the Republican Party is very aware that they are infected with QAnon uh, believers. To be in the Republican Party right now is to understand what QAnon is and to sort of play games with it. You know, sort of to get its support while never admitting out in public. And this is actually really, um, this is familiar territory. This is what has been happening since the 1960s and 1970s with the Southern strategy, where the Republican Party would appeal to extremists and white supremacists and uh, segregationists. And they would basically be able to say, hey, we're on your side with a couple of winks and nods and dog whistles. So they, they do rely on these people in their base. But I, I don't think that... Uh, 
I don't think that they're very interested in uh, disavowing QAnon because I think that would hurt a lot of their base. I think a lot of Republicans are starting to embrace this stuff. Mm, yeah. Hmm. I think uh, just out of curiosity, um, so it's something that's been coming up. I, I don't know if you've, um, I I, uh, I listened or watched a, a segment of an interview that Noam Chomsky did um, on democracy now i believe it was and i think the question was surrounding you know is trump a fascist right and he said something i thought was interesting i didn't think he was wrong but i thought he lacked maybe it's interesting that i'm actually criticizing noam chomsky but whatever um (laughs) he was saying that trump is doesn't live up to the actual you know definition of a fascist he's not you know he just isn't. He fits more in line with a tin pot dictator, I believe was the term that he used. But something that he seemed to not discuss was, I don't think Trump himself maybe fits the classic definition of a fascist, but his base, they are. And I think that that's the thing that we need to really acknowledge is like with these conspiracy theories and things like this, it actually is a part of activating a certain base of followers. So maybe Trump isn't a fascist in the real sense of the word. He may die, he may lose the election and leave, he might be forced out, whatever happens. But I think he's opening the door for that real fascist movement to really step into political power in a very real sense. I just wanted to, that's just my opinion on that. I just wanted to get your thoughts on that as well. Well, I'll just say this. I think if you sat Donald Trump down and said, are you a fascist? He would say no. But he also wouldn't even understand what fascism is, sure. right? I, I think his, I think his level of understanding is so thin on everything that he wouldn't even believe in an ideology. But one of the more frightening things about Trump actually is that he shares in common with fascists. There's a there's a weird belief. Actually, there's a really good book I just read. I think I think people should check out. It's called A Brief History of Fascist Lies. And it made something very clear that I, again, I had sort of intuited, but I didn't understand completely, which is fascists lie all the time because they have their own truth. And their truth doesn't have to have evidence anywhere, right? It's from inside. And that's one of the things. It's like I have a truth of my own, and I'm willing to hurt other people to suppress their dissent against that belief, right? Mm -hmm. So I think... The thing about Trump is that Trump has been doing an act. And and one of the things is I think he I think he became a Republican because they loved him and because they loved what he had to say on Fox News. And all of a sudden they like, you know, talked about him nicely on social media. And all of a sudden he's like, yeah, let's talk about birtherism. And, you know, he got a lot of nice pats on the head. So a lot of it is salesmanship. But I think intuitively, inherently, deep down instinctually. I think he's a fascist. I think he, I think he has such a, a sort of a narcissistic, limited worldview that if left to his own devices without people acting upon him, I think he would just behave like a straight authoritarian fascist, right? But the really dangerous thing that's happening here is you're exactly right. What I'm afraid of, because people say all the time, they're like, well, we just need to get past Trump and we'll be fine. I don't believe that. I, I, I don't believe a healthy country elects Donald Trump. I, I keep telling everyone who will listen, I think he's a symptom. He's not the disease. Mm-hmm. And there have been so many anti-democratic measures and so many fascistic authoritarian appeals, particularly through the American right and some through the left, but mostly through the right, that have opened the door for Donald Trump. But everything he does, and again, this is why there are some conspiracy theories that are true and others that are not. 
He's not playing 4D chess. It's like the Velociraptor in Jurassic Park. They're just trying. You know, they're mm-hmm. just like, oh, I'll check and see if the fence works. Oh, it does. No, it doesn't. And he just keeps toppling democratic institutions because they're ready to be toppled. You know, they've right. been hollowed out. They're decayed. And so he can knock them down. The problem, and, and I keep telling people this, so after Trump is gone, there will be people who will be Trump cultists for the rest of their lives. They will have believed that he was the greatest ruler that they ever possibly could have had. There will be people who continue to vie for their affection and support. And there will be people with actual ideologies who are more disciplined and who are not as haphazard and slap happy as Trump. And these are people, um, there are people like Tom Cotton, right? Mm -hmm. Or a Mike Pence. And these are people who are more disciplined, who have an ideology. Trump doesn't have an ideology besides, I need to survive the next couple of minutes. How do I do that? Also, how do I make money at the same time, right? And everything else just follows. So there are people who right now are reverse engineering what Donald Trump has done and what he's gotten away with and what America will put up with. And I keep telling people, the thing to be afraid of is the people who have ideology, who have discipline, who are going to reverse engineer this. And we're also nearing a time with climate collapse where if you think what happened at the border was brutal, and it absolutely was, wait until we have a million of climate refugees. Wait until resources are very, very thin. And suddenly it's us versus them over a square of land or you know over some bread. And all of a sudden the stuff that we've been seeing now, and don't get me wrong, we could collapse into an abyss of fascism and authoritarianism right now because I've, I've been telling people we have to fight against it or else it's going to get here. But when we finally get to climate collapse, the stuff that has started here is just going to get worse and worse and worse. Yeah. And I think, uh, you know, pointing to how Trump is reacting in the moment, you know, um, from this very base um, place, almost like the lizard brain or something. Um, He's a gambler. Yeah. Yeah. He's a gambler. Yeah. 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 Um, but I was thinking about, you know, um, what's what's what we need to think about is, for instance, with him being, you know, his whole campaign of like, we need to build the wall. Um, and of course, the wall is being built, I guess. And um, we have seen, uh, you know, people trying to cross and they've been thrown into detention centers and th- things like this. Now, I find that most of the conservative right and the f- in the far right, not all of it, but a lot of it is... Um, you know, doesn't really believe in the threat of climate change and climate disruption and ecological collapse and all this stuff. But they, just like any other political operative, any other political group, has to deal with the material reality that they're within. So if the climate's changing rapidly and people are trying to flood across the border, they're going to react as they would, even if it wasn't about climate change. So we, So they're still reacting to climate change and they're doing exactly what they would do even if they did believe in climate change. Because when you take like far right ideologies that do acknowledge climate change is a real thing, they still, they're, they're very strict about this idea of borders. Like that's a big thing for them. So I think that they're going to react regardless in the same way, whether they believe in it or not. I think the really insidious thing to understand about how we've gotten to the place that we are and, and what we're actually dealing with here is to know that a lot of Republicans who are in power do believe in climate change. They mm. just think it's a losing political issue because they're, they're engaged in something called game theory, which is, oh, the Democrats made that their issue. We have to be opposed to it. Mm. And if you actually look at the history of like energy corporations, oil, gas, petroleum, whatever you want to call it, 
They've known about climate change before a lot of scientists knew about climate change. They've known about it since the 1980s. And, you know, they've employed a bunch of people to poke, quote unquote, holes in the theories. But they've known all about it. They've just been like, we need to make money where we can make money until we can't make money anymore. And it's that idea of I have to be on one side of this and, and reality is malleable, right? The difference, and this is what I don't think a lot of people understand, there is a wide gap between people like the Republican Party and their supporters. They've given them a reality to live in, right, where they think about the New World Order, Deep State, or QAnon. Mitch McConnell doesn't believe in QAnon. Mitch McConnell doesn't believe in the New World Order. He doesn't believe in the Deep State, right? Mm-hmm. He believes in judges. He believes in legislation and tax cuts. So what has happened is the Republican Party basically, and and, and a lot of this, and we we don't need to get into it, but a lot of this started in the 1990s in particular, where the Democratic Party moved right. And there was a consensus between the Democrats and the Republicans. And the Republicans had to still call them socialist, you know, and say, (laughs) oh, they're after your money and they're going to take your guns. And Bill Clinton's like. I want, ta- I want tax cuts for rich people, too. What are we doing here? And so the Republican Party had to create an alternate reality where they could still win elections. And the way that they have won elections is by stoking insecurity and white supremacist paranoia. Well, guess what? You stoke that for long enough. If you put enough wood on a fire, that fire rages out of control. And starting particularly um, during Barack Obama's tenure as president, the paranoid right took over the right. And all of a sudden to get elected as a Republican instead of like a Mitch McConnell or like a Lamar Alexander, you had to speak the language of conspiracy theory. It wasn't enough to simply parrot what Fox News said. You had to live within the reality that Fox News sold you. Right. Mm -hmm. And so all of a sudden the Republican Party starts actually descending into madness, which is how you get Donald Trump. And meanwhile, you have so many of the Republicans who don't even believe what they're actually telling their constituents who are sitting there and they're like, I can't believe people believe this bullshit. But it's what's got them elected for years and years and years. So it's a really insidious nature. And what you just brought up, like a lot of them know that the climate collapse is coming. They know that there is a crisis here. They're just trying to win elections. And eventually when it comes, they'll figure out a way to make money about it. And they'll figure out a way to stoke paranoia. And we're going to have some really tragic results. That's the unfortunate truth of it. Yeah. I want to point back to, I think we, uh, something we discussed a little earlier about uh, about reality, about a, a sense of, of shared reality, of understanding what's going on. Um, I, there was some there's an image, there was a memory or, or something that's come up. And, uh, you know, where I live, I live in southern Idaho. It's a fairly conservative state. It's considered a red state. Um, and so with this pandemic, I just want to bring it to like a very real thing, a very real threat to our lives, our health right now, which is the fact that we have a pandemic that is just basically burning through the country right now. And it's coming and to say it's even a second wave is kind of not correct. They're still on the first wave. It's just got an extra bump to it. You know what I mean? Um, so like, for instance, the the idea of wearing a, a face mask in public has become so politicized that. Uh, if I go out in public wearing a mask and I'm the only fucking person wearing a mask in public, I part of me is like, am I the crazy one here? Am I the one that's making a big deal out of this? Everyone else seems fine. Everyone's happy. They're sitting around eating and they seem cool. Or I'll get dirty looks or I'll get something like that, right? Um, so there's a very real thing, a phenomenon of questioning your own reality because there's an actual visible representation of a very political issue that you're taking sides on, even though it should just be a public health issue. It should just be, 
I don't want to spread this and I don't want to get it because I have my, you know, family. I, I care about them and I care about my health and all this stuff. But no, it's become a very political thing. And it's wrapped up in all this conspiracy theory mindset thing that we talked about earlier. So I just want to point to the fact that this isn't just a political conversation anymore. This is literally like the oh. stakes are fucking high. Well, and I don't even think it's a political conversation in the first place. Uh, I actually think this is one of the problems mm, that, and mm. again, this is something, you know, we were talking before we got on here about like the difference between like podcast and like going on like a cable news show and doing like mm. a segment, right? Mm -hmm. Like you're doing, you're doing like quick hits and you're getting like your statements out and you're going really fast. I'm really glad that you just brought this up because actually when we say that we're talking about politics, we're not actually talking about politics. We're not actually like you and I right now are having like a like I, I believe a genuine conversation. Sure. Like one of the things we talked about before we started is the idea that a podcast should feel intimate, like the people are being honest with each other and sharing ideas and whatever. Um, I'm accepting that who you are giving to me is who you are. And I hope that you accept that who I'm giving to you is who I am. But here's the problem. Not a lot of Americans feel that way about how they go about their lives. A lot of Americans are really, really mixed up about who they are and who they present to the world. A lot of Americans are presenting an avatar of themselves that is a projection of who they want to be, not who they are. So, like, I, I wrote this book about masculinity. And one of the things that I found about men, particularly in the studies that I did, but also my own personal experience and the people around me, is that so much of what men do is like overcompensation, mm -hmm. right? Like, like there's a reason why men buy like big, giant trucks. And, you know, we all joke. It's like you're, you're making up for something or whatever. Yeah. Well, actually, what you're trying to do is you're trying to show the world that you're like a big, strong man. Right. That you are tough and masculine and all this stuff. And then like, you know, you have somebody like, I don't know, a Donald Trump who brags about how much money he has and how many women he's had and how powerful he is. And he tells these lies about generals who come to him and cry and all this stuff. Well, we all have these people in our families. They're sad. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like they really are. They're yeah. sad people and they'll sit there and like in my family, they'll like show off their guns or they'll talk about how important they are and all this stuff. And when they leave the room, the people who care about them are like, I feel so bad for him. <laughs> right. Just all that bragging and all this stuff. So what we're talking about right now is we're talking about a group of people, particularly like with the masks. Right. So for you or me to wear a mask out in public. So we're a couple of, you know, cis white men. What we're doing by wearing a mask is saying, I'm afraid, right? Or I take a threat seriously. So a lot of men are not going to wear masks simply because they're afraid that they're going to look vulnerable or that they're afraid of death. And the people who will not wear a mask are the people who are actually more vulnerable and are actually more scared, right? Mm -hmm. Because they're terrified that somebody will look at them with a mask on and they'll go, oh my God, what a sad, weak little man. When in fact, it's the opposite. They see it without it, but whatever. So when we get into politics, and this is what I'm trying to get to, there's politics, which would be like you or me sitting down with a budget and looking at a bunch of facts and figures and saying, okay, this is what experts say. Here's what we should do, which is actually what politics should be, right? It sure. should be a debate about how to move forward in a pluralist society with the most information possible. That's not what politics is or are, 
right? Politics is actually a game between the avatars of who we present to the world and who we are on the inside. And so this is one of those reasons why men who are insecure are much more likely to support wars or to support fascism. And and in truth, fascism is just a bunch of really terrified men who are frustrated with the world and they have nowhere else to go, right? I keep talking to like... um, past neo-Nazis. I did a lot of research on this. I would talk to past neo-Nazis and white extremists. Who did they go after? They went after isolated, white, unemployed, sad, unaffiliated men. And they told them, come join us. You'll wear a uniform. You'll be big and tough. You'll have a swastika. No one will, no one will screw around with you. And on top of that, you'll have a purpose. And that's what fascism is always about and why fascism blooms up in times of like economic crisis. When there's like a masculine crisis, there's a reason why Benito Mussolini like strutted around and, you know, acted mm. like a tough guy. So what we're actually talking about, it's not just in men. It's actually with all kinds of people. We're actually talking about the fact that American politics are so knotted up with people who don't know the difference between the avatar they present and who they actually are. And to the point where we're actually dealing with a mental health crisis in this country. And I don't think people want to talk about that and they don't want to actually understand what's happening. And as a result, it just becomes you're evil. You're doing this because you're evil. When in fact, a lot of these people are hurting and a lot of these people are lost and a lot of these people need help. But instead they have a president of the United States who goes, you're not lost. You're not hurt. You know, come with me, everybody else, go to hell. And so what ends up happening is they have, um, oh, what is it? It's like an enabler. They have a person as president in a party that says, there's nothing wrong with you, it's them. And so as a result, that's where fascism sort of grows. It's that weird interconnection between the personal, the avatar in public, and also what politics becomes. It's completely been perverted and completely been screwed up. Yeah, that's a great point because... uh there's yeah it's uh it's very knotted up as you said so it's really hard to navigate and i guess the 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 point about the mask thing and just being out public right now i really do feel like this is an unfortunate thing because the whole idea is like we want to kind of progress together and we want to get over this together as leftists i guess it's this maybe more egalitarian impulse that we have um however we choose to go about that but when we face such a, a serious threat as rising authoritarianism and fascism, you gotta be like, like, this is the thing I've been contending with. And I know this is very much because of where I am as a, my body. I am, um, as you said, we're cis men, white men, you know, it's like this thing in Portland, for instance, with all these people getting snatched up off the streets, you have people of color, black people. They're like, Hey, I know this is kind of new for you guys. But shit, we've known that the police were terrorists and the feds were terrorists for a long time. So there is that acknowledgement I have to just place here. But there is this... Real real fast, I'm so sorry, because that's an excellent point. And to just draw a historical corollary, one of the things that makes, like, the everyone thinks about the 1960s and counterculture and the anti-war culture and the free speech culture, all those movements, right? So... The reason why all that took place is it took place on the heels of the civil rights movement, right? And the civil rights movement had African-Americans going out into towns and getting beaten and bloodied in the streets. Well, that was its own movement. Then all of a sudden, white kids start joining this movement, right? Mm -hmm. Well, one of the reasons that all of a sudden that got so much attention the way that it did is because all of a sudden white people were like, oh, my God, this is what you've been putting up with? 
oh my god, like yeah. this is terrible. Like this has to stop. And what ends up happening is unfortunately that movement got bought off from the avatar stuff that I was just talking about. All of a sudden, you could look like a hippie or you could look like a counterculture person just by buying the right clothes. You didn't have to go to Kent State to get shot. So what you just said, I think, is exactly right. And I haven't heard it put that way, but it just nails it because it's like, no, America has had oppressive law enforcement for God knows, I mean, since the beginning, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. And and it just so happens that people of color have been the people who have been hit the hardest by it. But the fact that we're now looking at it and we're like, oh my God, that's terrible. People of color have had to deal with this. And all of a sudden we're like, wait, white kids are being picked off the streets? What is going on here? There's a historical corollary. I think you just nailed that. I really do. Yeah, and I think another thing that came up when, I, when you said that reminded me is like the, the drug, the 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 kind of the issue with uh drug overdoses um now we have you know white communities that are being plagued with painkillers and pharmaceutical drugs and now it's an issue but when it was in the 80s and crack was being flooded into black communities in in cities around the country it was like oh they're yeah you know that's happening but it's not really of our concern we're just going to criminalize it more and throw more people in prison for longer sentences but Anyway, I, I just think that needs to be pointed to. But I think my my point is is that, you know, things are getting to such a point right now. We are, I mean, there are multiple threats to our existence. Just on a base level, we're in the middle of a pandemic. There's that. There's a huge economic crisis. That's only going to get fucking worse. I'm sorry to say, unless Congress or anything steps in to actually provide which aid. is to say it will get worse it's to say because it won't you know they're not gonna they're not gonna help people that are the massive unemployment crisis that we have or the fact that there's gonna be a wave of evictions that are coming i mean it's not gonna be addressed and um so we have that and then we also have a rising authoritarian um I mean moment i mean we're we're really in that moment i think we're really in that moment in history where we're like oh why did people let the nazi party come into power why did they let mussolini walk into power why did they let all these dictators do what they did and i'm like hey everybody we're there right now and you know whether you really believe that trump can postpone the election or whatever i, I don't know if it actually matters at this point what you think is on paper as being legally true they have violated those laws and and that well, for a long laws time laws are only as strong as our ability to protect them yeah that's the thing the constitution and and, and i i keep trying to warn people about this society is a social construct like this is just something we all agreed to do. It's like playing a game of pickup basketball. Mm-hmm. Like you have a group of rules that you have to abide by. But anybody who's ever played pickup basketball or a pickup game of any sport, when people start cheating, you're kind of powerless. You know, yeah. like all of a sudden the game breaks down. And we have thought that this the whole thing is like immutable. It's like a you know the the law of gravity or something that and 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 luckily we've had a lot of people who have behaved in good faith, but all of a sudden you have somebody in Donald Trump by the way who comes from a corporate background. The way that you profit in a corporate background is you act in bad faith. You know you're the one who pushes it to the point that other people aren't willing to go, and hopefully you don't get caught and you don't get pushed back by referees, which don't exactly exist anymore. Right. Well, yeah, 
there's no good faith left. And if you have a bad faith actor, those laws and constitutions and norms, they go away. So, yeah, you can't just sit on your laurels and think that this whole thing is going to be fine because America. It doesn't work that way. Like that's that's how you actually watch a country fall apart. And 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 listen, I'm not being hyperbolic. I'm not being alarmist. America is a failed state right now. That doesn't mean it will continue to fail. It doesn't mean that we won't have something that will make it better. We won't get into a better place. But we're failing. We're not providing citizens anything. We we're not. You know, we don't honor our responsibilities in terms of sovereignty or the social contract. The reason we're seeing violence in the street is because violence in the street is the last. Uh, avenue that a failing state has. They can't give the people anything anymore except for violence. And that's where we are right now, particularly under Trump. We are in a failing state. And it, it could fail, but it is failing. And we need to recognize that. Yeah. Yeah. I think people want to go back to what it was like before this. Now we're talking and using, I don't like this term, but the new normal that we're in, you know, people just... They, that had privilege and comforts before they just want to go back and it's easier to pretend that it can be maybe voted away or something. And in my opinion is I don't think that I think we're kind of past that point, unfortunately, where maybe other things are required here beyond that. Um, so um, I just want to ask you one last question. We've been talking over an hour and I really appreciate your time. This is, <laughs> I want to ask about your book, American Rule, How a Nation Conquered the World but Failed Its People. That's a great subtitle for what we just discussed a moment ago. Um, so that's available for pre-order. Uh, when is that coming out? And if you could give us it a little... Out, it comes out September 15th. September 15th, so, okay. So basically, it's uh, it's a re-reckoning with America. Um, you know, I, I sort of understood conventional history, what what I call like a docudrama history, which is like we started with the founding and then all of a sudden, you know, but I, I went back and I relooked at everything and I, I looked at it without uh, the lens of American exceptionalism, this idea that America was chosen or, you know, divine or whatever. Mm-hmm. And what I actually what I ended up finding out is that experts have been telling us for many, many years that American history really doesn't look anything like the mythology that we were you know, raised up with. And what I found was uh, over the years, American mythology became its own nationalist religion. Right. And you even have like weird things where like. George Washington becomes a stand-in for the father and patriotism becomes the Holy Ghost and Abraham Lincoln becomes, you know, the son, the savior. And there's like all kinds of weird stuff that has been used there. And, and history actually doesn't look anything like what we thought it did. And when you actually look at what has actually happened, what's happening right now makes more sense, right? The story of America that gets us here is a story of oppression and control. And the actual real hero of American history are the American people who have been able to achieve things and have been able to find power where they can find power. And, I, and you know, just to leave this on a, on a good note, because I understand a lot of this is um, heavy, rough stuff, right? The good news that I think people need to hear and the hope that they need to have is that American history is like a pendulum. There are moments where power is completely concentrated in the hands of an elite few, Right. Where they have all the power, all the wealth. The government doesn't actually give Americans anything. They actually keep them in a state of servitude and constant perpetual suffering. And then eventually the American people start 
coming together. And they realized that power comes from the ground up instead of top down. And when Americans realize that it comes from grassroots instead of like trickle down Reaganomics or whatever you want to call it, all of a sudden when Americans find solidarity and they move past these differences that politicians give them and the conspiracy theories sow within them, they take back the power. And America gets better and it moves forward. And all of a sudden these ills, that nationalist, fascistic religion uh, that, that we've been suffering under, it sort of dissipates a little bit. And that pendulum moves. So there's hope here. It just so happens that people need to realize that it's not enough to sit here on like social media, right, and like and retweet things or share things on Facebook. That's a passive type of resistance. And actually it's a commodified resistance, mm -hmm. right? It's mm -hmm. like doing this as part of your brand or as part of your business or how you want the world to see you, that avatar that we were talking about. Well, the truth is that when we find solidarity and when we work together and when we move past that atomization, we see ourselves as one people, we can have more power and we can actually move past a lot of these really ugly moments in American history. So I think there's still an opportunity, but we're, we're in a lot of danger right now. Okay. Well, that sounds like an excellent read. And, uh, yeah. And I also just want to point people, and I thank you for explaining that. Um, I just want to point people to, uh, your website, the muckrake.com. You you post there fairly frequently. I, I had read something you had written a couple days ago and I checked this morning when I was, yeah, I was like going to get ready for this interview and I was like, oh, you published a new one already. Okay, cool. And they're great. So I really, I really like that website quite a bit. And I would also point to i know we mentioned this i think before we started recording but you're doing this thing i, I described it as a fireside where you're <laughs> you're on youtube it's i think it's a live stream you're answering questions you're sort of getting things off your chest it's called uh, bourbon talk it's through your youtube channel yeah i get out on the back porch with a bottle of bourbon and i start off with some questions and like i said to you before we started it just ends up because it's the summer in southeast Georgia, and I just end up a sweaty mess going on rants <laughs> and raves. And it's actually one of the best parts about my week. So, yeah, that that's every Sunday night at 8 p.m. If you wanted to, uh, you can subscribe to my channel on YouTube. It's Jay Sexton 3. Um, the Muckrake updates on Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays. And the Muckrake podcast uh, that I have with a guy named Nick Houseman, which I'm really, really enjoying. Uh, it comes out every Tuesday and Friday. Oh, very cool. Okay. Well, I'll be putting links to all that in the description. You're also on Twitter. As I mentioned, that excellent Twitter thread on QAnon, which delved into the history of this conspiracy theory. Uh, what is that handle again? I'm sorry, I have to ask. It's J.Y. Sexton. J.Y. Sexton. Okay, thank you. Um, yeah, I, I thank you so much for your time, man. It's great to connect. Um, yeah, thank you so much. Thank you for listening to this episode of Last Born in the Wilderness. If you would like to learn more about this podcast, go to the website lastborninthewilderness.com. Everything you need to know will be on that website. If you would like to support this project monetarily, here are a few options. You can send a one-time donation through PayPal. Go to paypal.me slash lastbornpodcast, and you can treat that a bit like a tip jar. If you like this episode or any other episode of this podcast in particular, consider throwing a few bucks Patrick's way. That would be really helpful. And if you would really like to sustain this work and support this project more regularly, consider supporting this project through Patreon. Go to patreon.com slash lastborninwilderness and donate to the production of this podcast for $1 or more a month. 
And by doing that, you'll gain early access to these interviews and discussions before the official public release. If you'd like to drop Patrick a line and have your message featured, there are two ways to do that. For those in the United States, you can call the phone number 208-918-2837 and leave a voicemail message up to three minutes in length. Or you can drop an audio file by following the instructions through the link in the description of this episode. As the great psychedelic bard Terrence McKenna said, take it easy, dude, but take it. <laughs>